Chapter 18 of Mildred at Rosens by Martha Finley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Amy. Chapter 18. Never morning wore to evening, but some heart did break. Tennyson. They brought the housekeeper and the family physician. The latter pronounced the patient very ill, and with good reason, for she passed out of one swoon only to fall into another, till they thought that her end was surely near at hand. However, after some hours the immediate danger seemed over, and the doctor left, promising to return before night. Mrs. Dinsmore had been awed and frightened into something slightly akin to terror and remorse, on account of her excessive harshness, but now shook it off. "'Really, she takes her dismissal very hard,' she remarked to Mildred as the latter was leaving the dinner-table. "'I had no idea she was so much attached to Rosalind's.' "'I do not think it could be that alone, aunt,' Mildred returned in surprise and disgust. What then? Her relative's disgrace, the poverty and distress to herself and a mother and sister dependent on her, consequent on being thrown out of employment. Then with a sudden recollection of that paper with its marked paragraph, Mildred hastened from the room and went in search of it. The patient had fallen asleep, Rachel watching at her side. A glance showed Mildred the paper folded and laid upon the table. She opened it cautiously, found the article she sought, and read it. A case of lynching occurred in one of the southern counties of Texas about two weeks ago. A man named Joseph White, said to be from one of the northern states, suspected of horse-stealing, was taken by a posse of some forty armed men, carried into the woods, and hung. He was given ten minutes to prepare for death, died bravely, protesting his innocence to the last, but of course nobody believed him, as the proof against him was strong. Sick and faint with horror, Mildred laid down the paper and dropped, shuddering into a chair. Oh, this was worse than all. If he was that poor woman's husband, and she loved him, no wonder news so dreadful, and coming at such a time as this, should bring her down to the very gates of death. The girlish heart was filled with a great compassion for the poor stricken creature, a great longing to comfort her in her grief and desolation. She will not live. She cannot, she whispered to herself. I should not wish to were I in her place, for, oh, it is so horrible, so horrible. How can men be such savages? to take human life to atone for the loss of an animal and that perhaps the life of an innocent man i should be loath to assume your responsibility in this matter remarked mr dinsmore to his wife as mildred left them lingering over their dessert why she demanded bridling did i cause the ruin of her brother or the poverty of the family you seem to have added to that last burden thus supplying the one drop that makes a cup overflow i only did my duty to my children she retorted angrily i cannot see it he said the children have improved very much in the two years that she has been with us. And, of course, all the credit of that belongs to her. There is none at all due to me. I often wonder, Mr. Dinsmore, how you came to marry a woman for whom you entertain so little admiration or respect. That is hardly a fair inference from what I have said, he rejoined in a tone of weariness and disgust, for she had tried his patience not a little that day with her whims and follies. He rose with the last word and withdrew to the library. He was sitting before the fire in his easy chair, seemingly lost in thought, when the door opened softly and Mildred glided across the room and stood at his side. As he looked up, he saw that her features were working with emotion, her eyes full of tears. "'What is it?' he asked in a startled tone. "'She's not gone, I hope.' Mildred shook her head and with a burst of tears and whispered, "'I could almost wish she was if, if I was quite sure she was prepared,' pointed significantly to the marked paragraph in the paper which she held before him. He read it, and then looked up at her with an inquiring, Well? Upon which Mildred told her reasons for connecting that item of news with Miss Worth's sudden seizure, repeating the words gasped out by the pale, trembling lips of the governess, 
on her partial restoration to consciousness. I thought then that her mind wandered, concluded Mildred, but since reading this, I fear her words were only too true. Poor thing, he sighed. I'm afraid she knows by sad experience all she has rescued Juliet from. Well, Milly, we will do the best we can for her. And, child, don't distress yourself unnecessarily. It will do her no good, you know. You were always kind and thoughtful for me, Uncle, she responded gratefully. But this seems no time to be considering myself. Do you know what the doctor thinks of her? He told me that the attack must have been occasioned by some severe mental shock coming upon an exhausted frame. What she has had to exhaust her, I don't know. Her duties were light enough, I suppose. But the shock I took to have been the arrest of her brother. It would seem, however, from this, that a far more terrible one was superadded. Yes, Mildred said, shuddering. Oh, my heart bleeds for her. But how strange that she is married. Why should she have kept it so profound a secret, going back to her maiden name? That I cannot tell, Mr. Dinsmore answered. But probably it was a clandestine and unfortunate affair, and she wished to avoid unpleasant explanations. We will say nothing about it to your aunt, as it would only increase her displeasure against the unhappy woman. Ah, uncle, Mildred said musingly, how little idea I have had hitherto of the dreadful distress that comes into some lives. I begin to think myself a very fortunate mortal. It is well to learn to appreciate our blessings, he returned with a smile that had little of mirth in it, for he was thinking with concern of the condition and prospects of the stranger within his gates. I must ask Dr. Barton whether she is likely to be long ill, he said, thinking aloud rather than addressing Mildred, that we may make arrangements accordingly, and I think we should show him this, indicating the fatal news item. It is her secret, Mildred suggested doubtfully. True, my dear, but physicians have often to be entrusted with the secrets of their patients, and Dr. Barton is a safe depository for such things. Mrs. Dinsmore was impatient for Dr. Barton's opinion, very impatient over the unfortunate circumstances of the serious seizure of the governess underneath her roof for she entertained an utter detestation of sickness and death, and was always ready to fly from them at a moment's warning. Whatever might be the character of the illness, she insisted there was danger of contagion, and saw it to be clearly her duty to take care of herself by running away. She spent the afternoon in overseeing the packing of trunks, that she might be prepared for any emergency, then anxiously awaited the doctor's report. It was her husband who brought it to her at last, late in the evening. He had been closeted for a quarter of an hour with the physician, and now came into his wife's boudoir with a countenance full of grave concern. "'Well, what is it? What does Dr. Barton say?' she queried fretfully. "'I thought you would never come back to tell me.' "'He fears there is little hope of recovery,' her husband answered gravely, pacing slowly to and fro with the air of one who is seriously disturbed. "'And is she going to be sick long?' "'It may be for some weeks. He cannot tell certainly.' "'Can she be moved?' "'Moved? What occasion for that? The room she occupies now is comfortable, is it not?' "'Dear me, Mr. Dinsmore, you can be very stupid. "'I want to know if she can't be sent to the village, "'to a hotel or boarding-house. "'It isn't at all pleasant to think of her dying here. "'I don't want any haunted rooms in my house.' "'He paused in his walk and stood looking at her in amazement "'that presently gave place to an expression "'of extreme chagrin and disgust. "'Isabella!' he exclaimed. "'Are you utterly heartless? "'Utterly destitute of womanly compassion "'for the helpless and suffering?' "'Of course I'm not she said, resorting to tears, as was her wont when at loss for better weapons of defence. I'm sure she could be made very comfortable there, and I spared the necessity of being turned out of my own home in the depth of winter. But you can think of everybody's comfort and happiness except your wife's. It isn't of the least consequence, and never will be. Really, he said, I do not know what you are talking about. I certainly have not proposed your leaving home, and cannot see the slightest necessity for your doing so. No, you would be quite as well pleased to have me stay here and get sick and die, 
give you a chance to find a younger and prettier wife. He disdained a reply to that, and presently she went on. I shall take the children and go to Kentucky to visit my sister. It's fortunate that Mr. Morrison comes tomorrow and is going to return immediately. I could not have a better escort. As you please. I've become somewhat used to being left out of my wife's plans, he said coldly, turning on his heel to leave the room. Go if you like, he added, turning toward her again. But don't talk of necessity, for there is not the remotest danger of Miss Worth's sickness proving contagious. She is dying of a broken heart. Ridiculous, she muttered as he went out and shut the door. The idea of a governess coming to such romantic end. It's far more likely to turn out scarlet fever or smallpox. By morning, she had worked herself up to the belief that such was really the case. The next step was to bring her nieces to a light conviction, in which she succeeded so well that they were greatly alarmed, Juliet nearly forgetting the disappointment and disgrace of her late attempt at elopement, in the fear that smallpox might rob her of her beauty. She had not much to lose, to be sure, but of that fact she was comfortably ignorant, and as what she had was but skin-deep, smallpox would have made sad havoc with it. Mr. Marsden arrived in the evening, and early the following morning, the whole party, consisting of himself and his two daughters, Mrs. Dinsmore and her six children, with their nurses, set out for his home in Kentucky. They departed without seeing Mildred, who had been so much in the sick-room that they were afraid of her, but left good-bye for her with Mr. Dinsmore. He made no effort to detain his family, but simply remarked to his wife, on taking leave of her, that when she felt it safe to return, he would be happy to see her and their children. The house seemed strangely quiet and deserted, as he turned back into it after seeing them off. He went up to the sick-room. Mildred was there, moving softly about, supplementing the work of the housemaid, with a few skilful touches here and there, that seemed to brighten up the place wonderfully. He had said to her at the first, "'Mildred, you're not to bear any part of this burden. Mrs. Brown and Aunt Delia are both excellent nurses, and will not neglect anything that can be done for her relief or restoration, and I cannot have you wearing yourself out.' He said substantially the same thing now, speaking in an undertone that could not disturb the patient, who was sleeping under the influence of medicine. "'I shall not wear myself out, uncle. Never fear.' she answered in the same low key, smiling up affectionately into his face. But I cannot be content to stay away all the time, for she seems to cling to me. Yes, said Mrs. Brown, coming in, and Miss Mildred has a wonderfully soothing way with her that quiets her in her fits of restlessness and distress when nothing else can. And I think, Mr. Dinsmore, she added in a still lower tone, that it won't be long the poor creature will be troubling any of us. I see death in her pale, sunken face now. Mildred stole out into the hall, and her uncle, following her, found her wiping away the fast-falling tears. "'Oh, uncle,' she sobbed, "'what do you think I have discovered? That she's been wearing herself out, sitting up half the night for months past, writing articles and stories for newspapers and magazines, in order to earn a little more for the support of that mother and sister.' "'Indeed,' he said, looking much concerned. "'I am very sorry. I would rather have added a hundred dollars to her salary, if I had known it. Unfortunately, it is too late now.' "'I can't help feeling angry at them,' cried Mildred. Why didn't they bear their own burdens, according to the Bible command? And then that brother and husband, oh, it is too bad. Have you learned any more of her story? he asked. No, sir, she hardly speaks at all, except that I have heard her murmur to herself in, oh, such a heartbroken way. My darling, my darling, oh, my darling. And two or three times she has whispered to me, tell me about him, that friend. That friend? Whom does she mean? The Lord Jesus. I told her of him once, when I found her sad and troubled, and it seemed to do her good. "'You are a blessed little comforter. You must have taken lessons of your mother,' he said in a moved tone, as he turned and went away. Going downstairs, he ordered his carriage and drove over to Ion. When he returned, Mrs. Travel was with him. It was a glad surprise to Mildred, a greater comfort than anything else but the arrival of her own mother could have been, for here was one with a heart ever tenderly alive 
to human will, and far more capable than herself of pointing the sufferer to the only true source of help and compassion. Together they watched, day after day, by the sick and dying bed, for the poor woman had indeed received her death-blow in that last terrible announcement. She said little, made no complaint, but lay there growing weaker, and often lifting her eyes to their faces, with a look of hopeless anguish in them that wrung their hearts. Then Mrs. Traveller would lean over her, and in low, tender tones tell of the love and sympathy of Jesus, repeating now one, now another, of the many exceeding great and precious promises of his word. As one whom his mother comforted, so will I comfort you, and ye shall be comforted. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I have loved them with an everlasting love. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Ah, if he loves me, why does he send such fearful trials? She asked one day. My dear, said Mrs. Traveller, he told his disciples, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. But our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Trust him, and he will do for you just what is best, will give you strength to bear all that he sends, and take you at last to himself, to be unspeakably happy for ever and ever. I will, I do, she said. Ah, oh, Miss Keith, turning her sad eyes upon Mildred, who sat near with tears streaming down her cheeks. I thank God that you were sent here to tell me of this heavenly friend, for his love is all that sustains me in this dread hour. She closed her eyes, and for some moments they thought she slept, but opening them again. I am dying, she whispered, but I am not afraid, for he is with me. Ah, how much easier than his death, his, my darlings, she added with a shudder, only ten minutes to prepare, and I fear he had never found this friend. The keenest look of anguish they had ever seen came into her eyes with those words, and for some minutes she was too much overcome to proceed. When at last she did, it was in tones so low and tremulous that they strained their ears to catch the sounds. Six years ago we married, secretly, against my parents' wishes. They were right, he was wild, loved wine and cards, fast horses, but me too, and oh, how I loved him. He was Harry's ruin, both had to fly, and I have never taken his name openly. No one knew what he was to me but my own family, and I thought no one need know. Perhaps it was wrong, but how could I bear my heart to a stranger? You were not called upon to do so, Mrs. Traveller said with emotion, for the sad story had deeply touched her heart. Mournful eyes turned upon her with a grateful look, then closed in the sleep of utter exhaustion. She passed away that night very calmly and peacefully, trusting in her Redeemer, and as Mildred gazed upon the solemn scene, she thanked God that she had been permitted to lead one soul to him, to smooth one dying pillow, and that heaven would make amends to the sorely tried one, for all she had been called upon to endure on earth. End of chapter 18 Recording by Amy